Welcome, welcome, welcome. Again, um, like Pastor Eric said, my name is Lori. I'm also one of the pastors here on staff at E3 and am excited to be here in the third week of Advent and the third week of our series that has been titled Adventus, where we have been um, taking a look at a central scripture. Um, before we get to that, I'm going to remind you of that, but I do have a, a quick announcement that I don't want to forget. So if you didn't get one of these on your way in, pick this up on the way out if you'd like. It has our holiday schedule on it, which shows some changes for the next couple of weeks that we want to make sure that you don't miss. Because next week, for example, there is one 10.30 gathering in the morning. If you come at 9, we're going to put you to work. If you come at 11, you will have missed a lot of good stuff. And then that afternoon at 3 and 5, we will have our Christmas Eve gatherings. Those, we're gonna, those are going to be completely different from the 10.30 a.m. gatherings. So we invite you to come to both. We know it's Christmas Eve. We know you're busy. But we think that, there, that you'll find a lot of good stuff in, in participating in both the morning gathering and coming back to celebrate with us on Christmas Eve. So again, third week of our Adventist series where we are... Um, where our central scripture has, is found in Luke 4. Pastor Eric mentioned it earlier, I believe. Um, this is where Jesus stands in, up in the synagogue and he reads. Remember, he, we, the first week he brought out the giant scroll. Jesus stands up, reads from the scroll. He reads words from the prophet Isaiah declaring, the spirit of the Lord is on him, anointing him to bring good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, restore sight for the blind, and set the oppressed free. So this week, the third week, we are going to be talking about restoring sight for the blind. We're going to do that through a story found in John chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to go ahead and get those out. The words will also be on the screen. We're going to read that text together. Um, or you, Actually, you can just listen while I read it. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of verses, verses 1 through 25. This is a story that you probably are familiar with. This is one of the miraculous healings that Jesus does, restoring blight, uh, sight to a blind man. Um, and again, John chapter 9, follow along as I read. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Ew. But he's Jesus, so whatever, whatever works. <clears throat> he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them 
He put the mud over my eyes, and then I washed it away, and I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see now? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he is old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. Would you guys pray with me? God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way you work through these powerful words. God, we know there is a lot you want us to hear from this. God, help us to have our eyes opened to the places, the people in this story that maybe represent who we are or where we are. God, we just ask that you would be here in this place and teach us. We want very much to learn from you. And we love you and we trust that you will do just that. Stay with us now, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the first thing I want to mention is that there's a lot happening in this, in this text, right? There's a, we're going to talk about as much of it as we possibly can in the time that we have. But the first thing that I want to mention or talk about is the significance of being blind at this time in history. Okay, this is not, there. you know, make sure that you understand. There was no seeing eye dogs. There was no braille writings. There were no, there were no tools that this blind man would have been given to just navigate through life, right? So blindness is significant, incredibly significant. Not that it's not now, but this man had no means of income other than to beg. That's how he was able to, to provide or have money to survive, to beg on the side of the road. He would have been uh, an incredible burden to his family and even his community, and he would have been unable to participate or really even contribute to his community in any way, in any obvious way. So Jesus mentions being blind. He mentions blindness many times as he, uh, in his speaking life here on earth in his ministry years. He speaks of them as a, as a marginalized group of people. He mentions, mentions them enough that scholars believe that blindness was probably a very common problem with no real cure, um, and it makes it, it makes it a relative and significant example in this teaching. Now I want to go back to the very first two verses where Jesus and his disciples are walking along, they, and, and the first questions where the disciples are asking, why is this man blind? Was this something that he did or was it something that his parents did or someone in his family did? I want to say that this is an unusual thinking, that in this time, 
Um, it was very common to believe that physical ailments were punishment for someone's sin, whether it was the person who was afflicted or someone in their family. But Jesus says this, It is not because of this man or his parents' sin, but so the power of God could be seen in him. Hear this again. The man who is blind is blind so God's power could be seen. The next verses go on to talk about the actual physical healing. The, you know, they don't mention how gross it is that Jesus put spit, you know, made spit and put it on his eyes, but that was just my interpretation. That seems um, disgusting to me, but however, you know, it worked, and so who am I to say? Um, <laughs> Jesus performed many miracles during his ministry here, and I want to talk about that sometimes that was in response to someone's incredible faith like the woman in Matthew who is pleading with Jesus to heal her demon-possessed daughter, right? Um, and he says very clearly, your daughter is healed because of your great faith. Other times, like in this story, it is for the purpose of instilling faith. There are times when the people that were healed had no faith at all. This beggar didn't know Jesus. He obviously had never seen him. He didn't, hadn't even, we don't even know if he's ever heard of him. All he knew is that he was the topic of, of a conversation between a rabbi and his students. At this point, this is all he knows of Jesus. So he had no faith at all and no reason to even ask to be healed. Notice the text doesn't say that he asked Jesus to be healed because he didn't even have enough faith that that was a possibility. But his purpose, his purpose, his blindness, his lifetime of blindness was so that God's power could be seen in him. Now, the next section, the next several verses, starting with verse 8, are what um, I read this week. These, this section is called the interrogation. This is when all of the people get questioned, all of the questions, right? So there's the exchange between the man and the Pharisees who want to know more about Jesus um, that, that they are speaking of. Um, he, was he a sinner because he performed this miracle on the Sabbath? If he was a sinner, how in the world could he have had the power to heal someone? They even bring in his parents to confirm that this is the man who had previously been born blind. And this is the part of the story that I want to settle into for just a couple minutes. I want to spend a couple minutes talking about the fact that there were several blind spots in this story. Is everyone familiar with the term blind spots? Yeah. One, one definition can loosely mean that you are unaware or unable to understand something. But another definition can mean you are unable or unwilling to see something or its significance. So a blind spot might be someone that you refuse to see. The Pharisees in this story refused to see the light of the world, Jesus. Even with the miracle, the miracle of the restored sight standing right in front of them, they, were, they refused to see. They bent over backwards to not see. Had to be something else. Refused to see. A blind spot might also be someone that you no longer see, like in this story, the parents. They could no longer see their son. I, it struck me that, as a parent, that 
these parents didn't even, there's no mention of them celebrating their son finally being able to see for the first time ever. There's no mention of that. They were no longer seeing him because he did not bring the value that maybe they were hoping that he would to the world or to their family. They were more concerned about their own position in their community, in their synagogue. That's why they answered the way that they did. They no longer saw him. A blind spot might also be someone that you avoid seeing, like the neighbors in this story. Did they really ever see the blind man? They had to have, they had to bring in reinforcements to confirm that this was the man that they had walked past every day on the side of the road for countless years. They had to have someone confirm it was actually him. So had they ever really seen him? Really looked at him? Even the disciples in this, in this case only saw the beggar as, as just a topic of conversation with their teacher, a conversation starter. So when we look at all of these blind spots, my question to you is, which ones maybe resonate with you from the story? We all have blind spots at times. We are either unaware or unwilling to see people around us who need our time and our attention. We might refuse to see, we might no longer see, or we might actively avoid seeing. We have to identify what those blind spots are and why they're there. What is God trying to reveal to you that you are unaware of or unwilling to see? What's happening around you? Where is God moving and what is he calling you to? Is there someone in your life that God is calling you to respond to, like a coworker or a family member who you know needs some more of your attention or resources in some way and you just are unwilling to see them? Maybe it's just someone that you happen upon on the side of the road or beside a building. I say that because let me tell you a personal story from me. I was working late here on Friday, and I was working on this message. And from here, I was going to meet Carl and meet some friends who have been friends for years. One of them was graduating um, on Friday night. We were meeting for dinner. And I was on my way to meet them, and I needed to stop at CVS and pick up a couple of things on my way. And I was in a hurry because I was late. I was very busy, and I was very excited to see my friends. And I pulled up to the side of the building, And the first thing I saw was a man laying on the ground beside CVS, up against the wall. My thought was, he's struggling to sit up. I don't know what the problem is. I felt a little little something moving inside of me, like, should I I go and offer to help? What should I do? About that time, another man walked out of the CVS and walked over to him and saw what I later realized was a wrapped blanket that he had just bought at the CVS and given to the man because it was chilly on Friday night. I thought in the moment, well, now's my time. I, now I, if I'm supposed to do something, now's the time that I should because there's this other man there, and so that will make me feel a little more safe, right? But I didn't. I was in a hurry. I was busy. I was late. I was excited to see my friends. I went on into the CVS, 
I got my stuff, got back in my car, and started to turn the key, and God clearly spoke to me. What words were you just looking at? What words were you just preparing for Sunday? Why can you not see what this man needs? So I took a deep breath, knowing that my husband was waiting for me, wondering whether he was going to think I was insane, walking over to this man um, with, by myself. I walked over and I asked the man just simply if I could buy him some food. And he struggled to answer me, and, but he did say, yes, that would be nice. And so I went in and got him a couple things and got him some water, and I took it back out to him, and, and he was grateful. This was a blind spot in my life. This was an area that I was avoiding seeing because it was going to be incredibly inconvenient for me. And it was going to cost me something. And I'm not even talking about the few dollars that I spent. It was going to cost me my time, which, let me tell you, if you know me at all, is far more valuable than my cash dollars. That wasn't always true, but it is now. So if we all have blind spots in our life, how can we, how can we identify what they are? Well, the first thing I would ask you to do or challenge you to do is to pray. Pray and ask God to open your eyes. Ask him to show you what you haven't seen before and ask him how he wants you to respond. And the next thing you should do is expect that he will. Now that's the part that people don't like sometimes because that prayer is what we've, what we have termed You probably have heard this term. That's a dangerous prayer. God, use me. Show me. Tell me what to do. Help me. Just help me see what I'm supposed to do and then help me do it. A lot of us pray those things, but but we don't always really want the answer to that prayer because the answer is going to be, all right. All right, I will. Along those lines, I would say, invite other people into that process for you. Ask them to pray for you and with you, and ask them to hold you accountable. Because there will be action that you are called to. And you're going to come up with a list of reasons why you shouldn't do and shouldn't respond. Invite someone else into that with you to hold you accountable and say, you know, have you taken a look around? Are there these people in your life that you're supposed to respond to in some way, and are you doing it? Why don't you text me and tell me when you have done it? And you do the same thing for me. It's one of the reasons why I am loving this series that we have been in, because I don't know about you, but it's been incredibly impactful for me to shift my thinking during this season that screams for so much attention. In so many ways, it has given me tangible examples and tangible areas of my life where there are people who need something from me who, I'm going to be honest with you, were not on my radar before this series started, or at least not much before, maybe as we were planning for the series. I want to share a story um, that Pastor Mark shared with me last Sunday. Remember, he taught last week about uh, freedom for the prisoners. 
And the activity that we asked you to do last week was to go over to the tree and pick up a letter and pick up guidelines, excuse me, pick up a tag, which would represent your commitment to write a letter to someone in prison at the Wakulla Correctional Institute. After the 11 o'clock, a man came up to Pastor Mark and another man in this community, and he wanted to just tell him this story, or this, he just wanted to tell him that he was actually here in town visiting a friend who was incarcerated at the Wakulla Correctional Institute, the very place that we are sending our letters. And he went on to tell Pastor Mark that at one time in his life, he had previously been incarcerated. And he had attended a Kairos weekend, and he had received one of these agape letters. And then in his words, it was life-changing. I think it's important to note here that these letters, this response for that week, was not our original plan. We had a different activity planned for you. That didn't work out. Now I know why. I want to share another story with you. This past Tuesday, staff, maybe you saw on social media, the staff was able to deliver all of the school supplies that we collected to W.T. Moore. You guys saw their overwhelmed faces and their gratitude when they were here last week. I hope you did. Um, that continued as we delivered, as we pulled up to the school with two vehicles, one of which was a pickup truck with an extended cab. The cab and the back of the truck were completely full, and it took another vehicle to get all of the things delivered to the school. It was just an amazing experience. And, and when we got there, the staff, most of the staff was able to go. It was during the day. We had a couple of the school uh, personnel helped one of whom was the assistant principal, Mr. Threadgill, who um, he was here last week as well. And so we made several trips from the vehicles to what was their guidance center. And in the guidance center were two kids who were in there eating their lunch and helping in the office. And on one of the trips, one of the kids asked Mr. Threadgill, wow, what is all this stuff? And Mr. Threadgill said, these are Christmas presents. Well, kids in our school. It didn't strike me at that moment what that sentence meant. But later that day, as I was going over the course of my, over the thinking through my day, I remember those words. And I remember thinking how humbling it was. Those kids' excitement didn't, didn't wane at all. There was, no, there was no one, neither one of them were like, oh, that really stinks. I don't want that for Christmas. And I'm going to tell you that my husband and I, when we got married, he was a single dad of two kids. Early in our marriage, money was tight. Things were hard. And we had a lot of socks and underwear Christmases. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Amen, right? Where my kids had to get a lot of their Christmas presents were the things that they needed and hopefully, maybe, maybe something that they really wanted if it wasn't too extravagant. But it struck me this week that my kids have never had to get notebook paper or Clorox wipes 
for Christmas. Now, I don't believe that Mr. Threadgill was implying that they were going to send these things home with the kids and put them under their tree. But these kids stayed excited about these things, these basic supplies that we were delivering to their school because they needed them and because they couldn't get them, they didn't know how they would get them otherwise. Please forgive me, I thought that I would be able to do it this time. (laughs) You did that. You did that because God revealed to you a need right here in our community. And you responded. And when you respond to these asks, this is the way that we bring the kingdom to earth. This is the way that God's power is seen in us like the blind man in our story. Jesus has come to rescue us and to put us to work. That work is caring for and loving other people. And my friends, first, we have to see them. We have to see them. The band's going to come out and, and, and do a song. <clears throat> during the past couple of weeks, during this song, we've invited you to interact, uh, to, to respond, and it's been, you know, going over to the tree. This week, it's going to be a little bit different. For one thing, I want to tell you that last week, I, I told you that the agape letters were due uh, today. That actually has been extended to the end of this week. So if you haven't had a chance to write a letter or haven't gotten your letters turned in, you have, please do that. Just bring them by the office by Friday. Bring them back. Oh, well, I wouldn't say bring them back this afternoon. There won't be someone here, but um, you still have some time. I would encourage you to, to do that. The other thing that I want to tell you is that we announced to you the service project for this week, and we still, as of early this morning, still had um, seven or eight spots left. One of those spots is tomorrow. Excuse me, it's today. One of those spots is today. So I want you to spend some time during this song and pray if one of those service spots is yours. And if you feel like it is, when this gathering is over, I invite you to go straight to the Pathways booth and sign up. The Pathways booth team is there. They will help you. Don't go home and say, I'll do it later. I'll think about it. Because let me tell you from experience, that's when you can talk yourself right out of it. That's when everything in your world can come crashing in of all of the things that, all of the excuses of why you shouldn't do this thing. Don't give yourself that opportunity. Pray now. And if you feel like that's one of the ways that God wants you to respond immediately, do it immediately. The other thing that I want to ask you to do during this song is I want you to pray and ask God to show you how you can keep your eyes open. We showed tangible examples of how your eyes have been open during the last few weeks by the overwhelming response from everything we've asked of you. Not just the letters and the school supplies, but a few weeks ago when Eric asked you to, to have radical generosity with your giving because the church was in need. You guys have had a, an amazing response to all of those asks. Don't let it stop now. Don't let it stop even just with today. 
ask God during these next couple of minutes how he can help you keep your eyes open to the, his world around you and what he wants you to do. Let's, do, let's listen to this song.